Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel, you're gonna find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is gonna be on there. You're gonna find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts, all that you can follow along with. And the best part is that it's completely free. They're also around 10 to 20 minutes long, meaning if you're short of time, you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout. New workouts will go live on the channel every Tuesday and Thursday and they're gonna be accompanied by an amazing backdrop, which I'm sure you're all gonna enjoy. So if you wanna find the channel, just search Elliot Hassoon into YouTube and you'll find it very easily. And please subscribe. It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello friends and welcome back to another episode of the Simply Fit Podcast and we are on episode 48 today. One episode away from the elusive 50 episodes which I'm very very excited about. Seems like a significant milestone in the podcast lifespan so far and then we'll be on to the next big milestone of 100 episodes which seems surreal to even say but I am going to continue bringing the best possible health and fitness content that I possibly can so we can cut through the noise and I can give you guys simple and actionable takeaways. So on to today's episode where I'm going to do exactly that. I have three very interesting topics, which one of them is quite a controversial one. So I'm looking forward to that. So stay tuned and let's dive in on the first one, which is, is there ever a good time to go on a juice cleanse or a detox? And I have to start by saying that I've never done a juice cleanse. So I can't necessarily say that I'm speaking from experience here. I certainly know what one is and I've come across people who have done them in the past as well. However, I've never thought it was a wise idea to do one myself. So I was going to dive straight in and answer the question based on my initial thoughts, but I decided that doing some research first would probably give me a more well-rounded and informed answer. And in fact, the research itself proved to be really interesting and some of the learnings really did surprise me. So I want to start by going through the specifics. First of all, we need to distinguish the difference between a detox and a juice cleanse. The word detox itself has a bit of a negative connotation around it, which is probably down to the fact that it's most often associated with juice cleanses. But to be honest, the word detox and actually the detoxes themselves are not bad at all. And they can best be defined as a process or period of time in which one abstains from or rids the body of toxic or unhealthy substances. 
that is a fantastic thing that we can be doing and should be encouraged. So although a juice cleanse may fall under the bracket of a detox, you could define fasting as a detox. You could define simply consuming water and bone broth all day as a detox. A juice cleanse, on the other hand, is going to be more along the lines of a type of diet that involves consuming only juices from vegetables and fruits in an attempt to lose weight and detoxify the body. So yes, a detox is a fantastic idea. Periods of fasting, removing toxic and or unhealthy substance from the body is something that can be super beneficial. A detox might even be removing processed foods from your diet, quitting alcohol, etc. And from time to time, these can be really helpful. However, I think today's question is more about juice cleanses as these two often get grouped together um, to the point that actually we feel that they're the same, but as you now know, they are not. So as we defined earlier, a juice cleanse is a diet that involves consuming only juices from fruit and veg to lose weight and detoxify the body. These can be done for as short as just a one-day detox, or I see even I'm saying it now, a one-day juice cleanse, but are most frequently done between three to seven days and actually can be done up for a period of two weeks. So we've got the facts and details in place. And now we have to ask, why do people do them? And the answer is pretty simple. Like, first of all, it's very easy. You literally have to order the bottles online. They arrive with instructions and you just drink them. It's for a really short period of time, generally no longer than two weeks. It's unlikely that you're going to go beyond two weeks, probably because you'll have to (laughs) file for bankruptcy shortly after, but we'll get into that in just a second. But the short time frame makes it a lot more feasible. The next is that it promises rapid results. This one obviously doesn't need any explanation. Weight loss, improved digestion digestion, boosted immunity, reduced inflammation, etc. And I guess another aspect is that it's not telling you to exercise. It's not telling you to dramatically change your lifestyle. Some do offer a little bit of lifestyle advice, but it's not asking you to make any significant changes outside of just drinking some juice. So if we summarize this, it's quick, it's easy to do, and it doesn't require much work for whoever's doing it. And it sounds very appealing when it's put like this, right? And I'm fortunate enough that when people come to me for coaching, they're already in a place where they're not necessarily looking for a quick fix. So I'm not usually coming into contact with many people who are doing this. However, based on the websites providing these and the fact that I read a Forbes article earlier today that said that there's a lady who's been doing it for 17 years, these juice cleanses must still be very, very popular. So based on all that information, do I think that there's ever a good time to go on a juice cleanse? And the simple answer is no. And by no, I mean, yeah, never. (laughs) So let's just clarify. I'm not anti-juicing. I think being able to consume nutrients in the form of a drink is fantastic, but I am anti-juice cleanse. And I'm going to give you three reasons why. The first is the weight loss aspect. Yes, juicing offers these benefits of weight loss, but without being too direct here, of course you're going to lose weight on a super low calorie diet, especially when it's in the form of fruit and veg. I looked at about five different options on multiple different websites that actually some of those listed the calorie content for the day. And the average calorie content is between 900 and 1050 calories. And actually on that note as well, I'm highly skeptical of the websites who chose not to put their nutritional information and calorie content on the website. So stay clear of those if you ever are considering a juice cleanse, but hopefully after this you won't. I digress. 900 to 1,050 calories, people. And when do you think the most likely time that someone is going to do a juice cleanse? 
after Christmas, after a vacation, after weeks of inconsistent eating, right? I mean, most websites that I was looking through, they talk about the ideal time to start being after too many servings of Christmas pudding or start of the new year is your new year's resolution. Let's consider that the average person will consume two to times three more calories around Christmas than they usually would. What do you think is going to happen when they go from consuming four to 5,000 calories a day to 1,000 or less? Hello, rapid weight loss, right? So is it the magical juice cleanse that's helping you lose weight? Or is it the fact you're on a significantly lower calorie diet than you were just a few days ago? Now, what's the biggest complaint we hear from people who go on juice cleanses or diets that just involve, you know, those soups, shakes, etc.? They usually regain weight when they go back to eating. There isn't anything sustainable about these cleanses and you will have to go back to eating at some point. And if you've not educated yourself on the right foods to eat and you haven't developed good habits or a good relationship with food, you're setting yourself up to regain weight pretty soon after to be completely honest. And if you do manage to keep off that weight, amazing. And it may be possible, but I do believe that for most of us, it's pretty unlikely. So let's transition into the second aspect of why I don't think juice cleanses are a good idea. So I'm going to read a section taken from a website that sells these cleanses on the benefits you should feel by day five. Expect to feel tuned into your body, eliminating all forms of digestive discomfort and helping reduce inflammation. Your mind will feel clear and collected. You may even cleanse on an emotional level, releasing pent-up negative energy. Expect healthy weight loss as your body decomposes cells in excess and renews on a cellular level. Cleansing is a great way to kickstart a healthy eating regime, feeling fueled with long lasting energy. I feel like I've just finished an infomercial. Anyway, do you know what does all of those above? Eating a high quality diet, drinking water, training regularly and sleeping well and also managing your stress. These benefits are not exclusive to a juice cleanse. You can get them for free. They can last for weeks, months and years with just a few adjustments to your lifestyle and your diet. What's deceiving about these juice cleanse websites is that the way that information is presented right there, it makes you feel like a cleanse is the only way that you can feel these benefits. Reducing inflammation can happen through reducing. You can reduce inflammation by reducing the inflammatory foods in your diet, reducing your stress and exercising. You can reduce digestive discomfort by practicing good meal hygiene and avoiding foods that your body doesn't tolerate too well. A clear mind can come from meditation and stress management techniques. The answers to these problems aren't exclusively sitting in a bottle. They're available for you at all times. And of course, we've got to bear in mind the contrast effect here too. If you go from eating whatever you want over the period of Christmas, for example, where you've had a ton of alcohol, high fat and carb foods, to having an abundance of concentrated nutrients, of course you're going to feel better. It's a similar phenomenon to those who go vegan. Some people will of course feel better for not eating meat. However, a lot of people will generally feel better due to the fact they've added a lot more veg and fruit to their diet and they've removed a lot of the poor quality meat and dairy products that they were consuming before. So instead of going for that juice cleanse, how about you just throw in a juice or smoothie with all these high nutrient antioxidant foods to your normal diet and then just experience those same benefits. And finally, onto the last 
last point, remember when I spoke about bankruptcy earlier? Based on my research, the average cost of a juice cleanse for seven days was between 400 to 460 pounds. 400 to 460 pounds. That's for seven days of juice. That's more than most people will spend on food across a month. You could get over two and a half months of coaching with EHC for that. And I can tell you it's way more valuable than a week's worth of juice. I'm absolutely against making living a healthy and fit lifestyle unaccessible. It's the reason I'm against these mandatory vaccines for those doing exercise classes, which we discussed a couple of weeks back. It's the reason why I'm against juice cleansers that cost over 400 pounds. It's not accessible for most people. And cleansers may argue that you may only do this for, you know, two or four times a year, but it's still a minimum of 800 pounds, which could easily be your gym membership fees for a year. And that's just a seven day cleanse twice a year. So those are my three reasons why I don't think juice cleansers are a good idea. Even if you did yours at home and it ends up being significantly cheaper, I feel that living a healthy lifestyle with good nutrition and exercise habits in place and regularly consuming high nutrient foods is far likely to give you long lasting results. And with that, we transition on to the next. Elliot, how do I increase my strength quickly. And as most of you know, my usual answer to a question like this would be not rushing the process and focus on getting progressively stronger over a solid time frame. However, I do believe there are a few things that we can do to accelerate the strength gaining process. And if your goal is to get as strong as possible, then applying these could be incredibly helpful. So let's get into four ways that you can get stronger quickly. So I'm going to start with the most obvious one, but probably the most important too: bump up your calories. If your goal is to get strong quickly, having more fuel in your system is going to be immensely helpful. If you want to get stronger fast, but you still want to keep your abs, then you are probably going to run into some challenges. If we take the extreme example of this, what do the men look like who compete in the world's strongest man competition? Let's think of someone like Eddie Hall, for example. He is not 7% body fat with veins coming out of his arms as he So let's also take a look at the female Olympic weightlifters who on that podium or that platform, lifting platform, is moving the most weight. The 87 kilo plus woman, of course, like mass moves mass. And we've got to bear that in mind. The more food you consume, the more energy you have to lift and recover, which will result in you lifting heavier weights. This is, of course, quite an exaggerated example that I just mentioned. And it's not to say that you can't gain strength whilst keeping calories moderate and keeping lean, but you'll have a much better chance of it when consuming more calories and being okay with being slightly heavier, especially if you're wanting to achieve strength fast, which is all about the question today. It can and should still be done in a strategic manner. I'm usually in favor of pushing up calories to a level where the client feels strong, they recover well, and you know then we slowly let them creep up or we push up their calories if their strength gains slow down a little bit. And obviously, if all the other variables are in place. But if we are looking at gaining strength as quickly as possible, then a healthy calorie increase is really going to help. Number two is going to be practice the skill regularly. For most of us, we want strong compound lifts, a strong squat, which we discussed in the last episode, actually, a strong deadlift, bench press, shoulder press, pull up, etc. And as I mentioned in that past episode, the squat alongside these other movements are technically demanding. I also mentioned that if you're squatting once a week for four sets of 10 reps, in 10 weeks, you're going to have done 400 reps. If you're squatting three times a week for four sets of 10 reps, in 10 weeks, you would have done 1200 squats. 1200 squats done with solid technique versus 400 is only going to result in you getting stronger. And it's going to 
to help with the aspect of getting strong fast because you're going to be so much more proficient at the movement. And I'm actually experiencing this myself at this moment in time. When I was doing squats just once a week, I'd get under the bar and even after years of squatting, I'd still have to kind of get my bearings, find the best position with the bar on my back, the best position when I get into the bottom of the movement. But now I squat two to three times a week. I almost find myself in the right position, you know, almost immediately and can focus on moving the weight versus having to establish my technique all the time. So another thing would be adding variations of that skill. As I mentioned in the last uh, episode two will be helpful. Pauses, chains, bands, tempo, all of that type of work is going to help you get stronger faster. Number three, train inappropriate rep schemes and stop training to failure. If your goal is to be healthy and fit and you just want to put on a little bit of muscle and you maybe want to get a little bit toned, the rep ranges of eight to 10, 10 to 12 and 12 to 15 are perfectly fine. You'll be able to move a decent amount of load and of course you're going to be achieving some good results. However, if you're aiming to get strong as quickly as possible, you'll want to be hanging in the much lower rep schemes, especially when it comes to your compound movements too. And I'd actually argue that aside from your accessory movements, you won't be spending much time at all in sets above eight reps, to be completely honest. Focusing on those three to fives, those four to six, those six to eights, and on occasion, even one to threes will be where you want to spend the majority of your time. If you're doing less reps, you'll be able to move more weight. The more heavy weight you lift, the stronger you'll get. It's a really simple equation, but the caveat here is that we don't want to be training to failure. We don't want to be testing our one rep max all the time either, which I'm going to discuss in just a moment. So training to failure is extremely demanding on both your muscles, joints, and your nervous system too. Expecting your body to recover from this on a regular basis, especially if you're not on performance enhancing drugs, is just going to be a big ask. And in some cases, it's just not going to be feasible either. Your performance is likely going to dip as you're not going to be able to recover sufficiently. And even worse, you're putting yourself in a position where you're going to be so much more susceptible to injuries. So I've been focusing on powerlifting for, I think, around the last 20 to 22 weeks now. And I've not tested my lift once not once. I did have sets of one in, you know, one of my mesocycles, um, maybe a couple of months ago, but this came out of four other sets. So it was hardly a one rep max test, but I know I'm getting stronger because my lifts in the ranges of the three to fives, which is a much safer rep scheme for me to be in, are frequently moving up. When the time comes, I will test, but for the time being, I will avoid training to failure or testing my top lifts and using that energy to just focus on my program and avoid any chance of getting an injury or putting my myself in a position where I can't recover sufficiently. On to the fourth and final, which is train with a good workout partner or even personal trainer and have a coach doing your programming. I've spoken in the past about training partners on episode 38, I believe, and have mentioned that I personally don't really use them that much. However, if your goal is to get strong as quickly as possible, having someone with you during your sessions is going to be immensely valuable. A good spotter is worth their weight in gold. Someone who can give you that extra bit of confidence knowing that if you don't make the lift, there will be someone to catch the bar can help you significant amounts. A good training partner can also help you through sticking points and certain movements, and they can serve as a very good form of motivation too. If you know you're the type of person who's going to get super fired up when someone's shouting at you and maybe even slapping you, then having that person there alongside you is going to be so much more effective than training on your own. A good training partner or even a personal trainer can provide that. And the added benefit of having a personal trainer or even a 
really experienced lifter is they can go through the technicalities of the movement with you as well. So if your goal is to gain strength fast, then finding a good training partner or a personal trainer will be helpful. And to add to this, there is a certain amount of strength that you can gain on your own by using generic programs online. But if you're looking to add strength fast, having a coach that's specifically going to base a program on you and give you feedback on a week to week basis is just going to be unbelievably helpful. I've trained for years and years and I've gone through strength building phases too. However, I have to say that this is the first period of my life where I'm getting stronger consistently. And the most impressive part of this actually, and we're going to touch wood, I've remained injury free, which partly has to be attributed to the programming too. And in the past, when I got to certain numbers on lifts, an injury or a tweak would usually set me back. And now I'm 21 weeks in or 22 weeks in, whatever it is, and I haven't had a single injury that has occurred in the gym or a single injury full stop, in fact. So if you want to get strong fast, you need to stay healthy enough to keep on lifting. So those are my four top ways to gain strength fast. Number one, bump up your calories. Number two, practice the skill regularly. Number three, train in the lower rep schemes. And the bonus tip, of course, is don't train to failure. And number four, train with a workout partner and get an experienced coach to do your programming. So hopefully you're on your way to getting super strong in no time at all. Alrighty, on to the final question of the day. Elliot, do you believe in health at every size? Oh, it's a controversial one, but as you know, I'll never shy away from the controversial question. And I'm always going to give you my take and my honest opinion on this. So let's get into it. Health at every size or haze as it's usually abbreviated to is an approach to public health that seeks to de-emphasize weight loss as a health goal and reduce the stigma towards people who are overweight or obese. It's very similar to the body positivity movement. However, the body positivity movement is best defined as a movement focused on the acceptance of all bodies, regardless of size, shape, skin tone, gender, and physical abilities, whilst challenging present day beauty standards as an undesirable social construct. This spans back as far as the 1850s and who knows, potentially even before. So although the Bozzy Positivity Movement and Hayes certainly have some crossovers, I want to clarify, I'm discussing Hayes Health at Every Size here and not Body Positivity. The Body Positivity Movement is about social justice and is like more of a political movement. Hayes is all about promoting the fact that health is not a qualifier to love your body. So before I dive in, I want to clarify that I'm exclusively talking about Health at Every Size here today, not the Body positivity movement. I think a lot of us mix up the two and actually think they're the same thing when in fact they actually require completely different conversations and there's a lot of different nuances to the both of them. So today we are talking about health in every size and that first appeared according to my research in the 1960s and it initially conveyed that the standard of beauty and aesthetics was leaning towards those who are thin, lean, whatever word you want to use and it therefore had negative repercussions on those overweight people from a psychological perspective. A man named Lou Lauderback wrote an article in the 60s titled More People Should Be Fat, and he argued four key points. First one is thin fat people suffer physically and emotionally from having dieted to below their natural body weight. Number two, forced changes in weight are not only likely to be temporary, but also cause physical and emotional damage. Three, dieting seems to unleash destructive and emotional tendencies. 
four. Eating without dieting allowed Lauderback and his wife to relax and feel better whilst maintaining the same weight. So since then, more and more men went on to write books about this. And in most recent years, it's actually transitioned more into a female-based approach than a male, which I find quite interesting. And going through that is probably a whole nother podcast topic in itself. So we'll park that for now. But these days you can find articles about health for every size, people over Instagram speaking about it. It's growing in popularity and it's generally females more so than males. And during the research I did, I found a segment from an article that read this. These days, a fat person who dares to be visible in the world has to face a constant stream of fat phobic hatred. Fat people are accused of promoting obesity for merely existing in their own bodies. They face harassment ranging from mild abuse to death threats for nothing more than how their body looks. Fat people are the last remaining group that is socially accepted, in fact, socially encouraged to be prejudiced against. Just to confirm, those were not my words. They were taken from another article. So contrary to what most people think, I want to give you my personal take here. I have been overweight before. I've been the chubbiest person in the room. By no means have I been obese, but I know what it feels like to feel like you're fat and to get comments for it. This was probably over 10 years ago now, but I still clearly remember it. And being overweight was a very easy thing for people to pick out and make fun of. And I'm sure it still happens in schools all over the world today. However, Megan Crabb, who wrote that article, went through a very extreme account of her experience. And I can't personally say that I've ever experienced, or to be honest, even heard about harassment and death threats for people being overweight. But unfortunately, if she's written about it, there's a very good chance it's true. And to be completely honest, it's horrendous. It has no place in the day and age we live in. The same goes for gender and race inequality in my eyes as well. However, this is where the challenge comes in. I absolutely do not believe she should have to experience this, nor should any overweight person. But what's different here is that you're born with your gender. You're born with your race. You may be more predisposed to being heavier, but in my experience, most of the time, a person's weight is more likely dictated by environmental factors than genetic ones. And I guess this is where the argument comes in. I'm assuming that those who argue for health at every size are suggesting that it doesn't matter whether they can change it or not. They still shouldn't be subjected to that level of abuse for being the size that they are. They should also have the right to choose their size that they want to be, just like the way that they choose how to dress and live their lives. And this, again, I absolutely believe in. However, I can't say I believe in the concept as a whole. For me, the name itself, health at every size, is misleading. Health at every size would suggest that you can literally be healthy at every size. But you don't have to be a scientist to fully know that being obese can lead to a number of health-related conditions. So health isn't possible at every single size. Like, let's take the most recent example of COVID, for example. And I pulled this away from an article too, and this was alarming. Since the pandemic began, dozens of studies have reported that many of the sickest COVID-19 patients have been people with obesity. In recent weeks, that link has come into sharper focus as a large new population studies have cemented the association and demonstrated that even people who are merely overweight are at higher risk. For example, in the first meta-analysis of its kind, published on 26th of August in Obesity Reviews, an international team of researchers pulled data from scores of peer-reviewed papers capturing 399,000 patients. They found that people with obesity who contracted COVID were 113% more likely than people of a healthy weight to land in hospital. They're 74% more likely to be admitted to ICU and 48% more likely to die. 
let's reiterate those stats. 113% more likely than those with a healthy weight to land in hospital. 48% more likely to die. That is a terrifying stat. 48% is massive. And one of the most alarming things about this is that obesity in its relation to COVID has barely been spoken about and it's really not been spoken about enough. And for someone like myself who works with people on a day-to-day basis, helping them improve their physical and mental well-being, accepting that health at every size is actually contradicting to what I do and why I believe it. I'll reiterate, I do not think that overweight people should be subjected to abuse, nor should anyone other than themselves or perhaps a health professional should be able to comment on what they should do with their body weight. However, encouraging people to remain at a weight that makes them more likely to contract diseases and be more at risk at those diseases being fatal isn't something I can get behind or believe in. And as a health and fitness professional, I do have a slightly unique vantage point that most people won't have. Like I've spoken to hundreds and I don't want to say thousands, but it could be close, but hundreds of people who have told me that they want to lose weight. And a lot of these people have been unsuccessful in the past. They've tried endless diets, workouts, maybe even juice cleanses, and nothing has worked for them. Or they might have seen some results, but nothing was sustainable. And they're at a point where they're really close to giving up and they're just so frustrated with the fact that nothing's ever been able to stick. And working with me is actually kind of last chance saloon for them. Like they still desperately want to improve their health and their body composition. Like they're tired of not being able to keep up with their kids. They're tired of not fitting in their clothes like they've used to. And they don't necessarily feel pressured by society. And perhaps there is a subconscious layer of this that we're all subjected to. But generally, they've been told by their doctors that they're now borderline diabetes or they're approaching that age where their parents or their grandparents died from weight related diseases and they don't want to be in that position. And honestly, I respect these people for still trying despite their lack of success in the past. And, you know, the point I want to make here is that I can't help but think that I'm fortunate to speak with these people, but there's going to be so many people who weren't able to find an approach and they did just give up and they just got fed up of searching and they're now accepting where they are. And perhaps they're even promoting health at every size, not because they want to, but because they weren't able to find a sustainable approach to health that actually worked for them long-term. It might've felt like the only chance they had to some degree. And, you know, in some ways I don't blame them. And I spoke about this in episode 44, when I spoke about my thoughts on unethical fitness influencers. And I went through a concept where I discussed, and I still don't have the name for it, but I mentioned that there will be a handful of people who genuinely believe in health at every size, accepting their body for what it is. They, they enjoy being whatever size or shape they are. However, I do believe that still that that is a very small percentage of people. And I truly believe and as the concept explains that most people are jumping on this bandwagon, not because they specifically believe in health at every size, but just because they couldn't find a way to solve the challenges they were having with their health and wellness. They couldn't find the sustainable diet. They couldn't find the approach to exercise that worked for them long-term. So rather than facing that problem and consistently going at it, they just decided to adopt the approach that was the opposite, You know, the approach that allows them to accept it and not face those challenges. So in reality, a lot of people are embracing health at every size and adopting this mindset, but simply because they've not found a way to live a healthy and fit lifestyle. And what I prefer to do is discuss with these people how we can find that for them. And I don't believe that being healthy is a prerequisite to loving your body. Not at all. But I do believe that if you do love your body, you exercise to keep it physically healthy. You nourish it with good foods. You hydrate. You manage your stress. You sleep well. You do your best to 
keep your body weight away from being in a range that is associated with potentially having health-related diseases. And this doesn't mean conforming to society's idea of being in shape either. It doesn't mean being lean, skinny, thin. It means being what healthy looks like for your body and that being dictated by perhaps your blood work and you living a healthy lifestyle that shows that you do love and respect your body. And those are my thoughts. You may agree with me, you may disagree with me. However, rather than focusing on acceptance, I prefer to focus on finding a way to punish these inhumane people who do send death threats to people who are overweight, but also allowing people to choose how they want to be and look like, but at the same time, showing them how to live a healthy lifestyle that promotes good physical and mental health. And that wraps up today's episode. And that was quite some episode. Thank you as always for listening team. I truly Truly appreciate each and every one of you. And if you do have any comments or thoughts on today's podcast, reach out to me and let's discuss them. Especially if you do disagree. I'm intrigued to get the thoughts of some people who are very involved in the Health at Every Size movement and maybe have some different thoughts on this. So that is everything from me today. Take care, team, and I'll look forward to catching up with you very soon. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.